This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and look at my calendar. It's Game of Thrones creator George R.R. Martin's birthday. To celebrate, Joe's mom wanted to go all out, so we've turned the basement into a throne room. And just in time, because we do have some royalty coming on the show today, let's welcome the host of the Personal Finance Show, Bo Humphreys. And from Your Richest Life, Certified Financial Planner, Katie Brewer. And finally, we welcome Kit Harrington. Oh my God, no. I'm just kidding. It's only our own winter is coming, dude. OG. Speaking of winter is coming, maybe we'll kill someone off today. I suggest we start with OG. Anyway, today we're meeting our neighbors, and it turns out Joe's neighbor is a guy who's an executive VP in the mortgage industry. Here to talk mortgages 101, we welcome Joel Gurman. Of course, we'll have our trivia contest. Oh, oh, that's a great idea. Kill the loser. And answer a magnify money call for help. And now, here's a character nobody said would make it past the halfway point of season one of podcasting. Joe Saul Sihai. And I did. I continue to be the guy that nobody expects to live. And I live on. By the way, lots to talk about killing today, Doug. I don't know what that's all about. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the... Game of Thrones podcast. No, probably Stacky Benjamin's podcast. I am Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the guy, I don't know if he watched Game of Thrones or not. Uh, it's Mr. OG. Do you watch Game of Thrones? No. But it's your kind of thing, like dragons and fantasy. And it's kind of like- you how, many, and, how many explosions? Lots of explosions. Lots of All dragons right. breathing fire on people. That seems bank-believe. None of that. None of that. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, no. Nope. And joining us 
from The Personal Finance Podcast, a show that, by the way, our friend Tom Drake, who was here just a couple of weeks ago, when he and I were recently talking, we were talking about favorite shows. He was telling me The Personal Finance Show is his favorite podcast. And uh, this is a great one. From north of the border, that's the U.S.-Canadian border, it's our good friend Bo Humphreys. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. I, uh, you know, when you told me that before about Tom, I was, uh, well, I was surprised. I mean, he's been on the show. Yes. And uh, it's very nice of him to say that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing good. Well, he likes the discussions that you have because you have very cool, unscripted, just let's see what comes out of this discussions, which are fascinating. Well, you and I, I believe, talked about uh, ways to breed corn. We Is that, did. Uh... <laughs> we did. <laughs> <laughs> Ran, very random, but that that's because it was one of your first jobs. That was one of my, we talked about early jobs, early money mistakes. And even though, well, because you do that, your discussions of people are all over the place. Tell, tell people a little bit about the personal finance show. Yeah. So it's not about topics. It's about people. We start with your earliest money memory and then we go from there. And wherever your money trajectory went, that's where we go because everybody has a different personal finance story. Right. And so you're going to be talking about, like you, all the mistakes that you made, Joe. I was, that was a lot of stuff. You don't uh, have but, to start laughing when you talk about what I did with my money. So, boy, so all those people, mistakes you made. <laughs> so many people can learn, though, from uh, listening to that, right? Like, don't get a credit card uh, when you don't have a job, yeah, you know, that weird. kind of thing. That's, that's a good lesson, life lesson. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're welcome, people. And by the way, you don't even have to speak Canadian to listen. Like you guys, you guys do this right. uh, same thing. There's a button you press that translates it uh, to well, whatever country, American for you, American. and uh, it just takes out all the A's and changes a boot to about and that just it, that kind of stuff. Whatever you need. It's unbelievable. It's fantastic. And we'll link to it on our show notes page. And somebody else who's back, I think, Bo, she's been here like uh, 743 times on the show. From Your Richest Life Planning, it's our good friend Katie Brewer. Hello. Thanks for having me on for the 744th. Isn't it about? Uh, time. Is it about? I think it's, I think a- it's about. Yes. About. Oh, nice. <laughs> Do we sound Canadian yet? Yes. Bo's like swinging a miss. Yes. <laughs> So, but you are a certified financial planner in the Dallas area. So tell everybody about the practice. It's going really good. We're creeping up on open enrollment time. So that's a little bit of what I'm talking to clients about with making sure that we don't skip those opportunities and um, just kind of trudging on with the year. Yeah, it's uh, an exciting time. You guys down there in Texas, Katie, it's like, uh, what, 110 degrees how are the cornfields doing or any of the fields doing? You know what? I'm going to go check on the cornfields next time I'm out and about. I have not been paying attention. Shame on me. Well, you don't have to because the people at Acre Trader do that professionally. Big thanks to Acre Trader. That was so bad. Nice. <laughs> How are the cornfields? <laughs> what, bre- what breed of corn? Oh, boy. Uh, thanks to Acre Trader for supporting Stacky Benjamins. For more information about how to become a farmland investor through Acre Trader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. We'll talk about them a little bit later in the show, but they have a good explainer video, though. Explainer video that will tell you all about it. Uh, acretrader.com forward slash SB. We got a great show. We got OG sitting right across from me. We got Bo Humphreys here from the Personal Finance Show. We got Katie Brewer from Your Richest Life Planning. What could be better? So let's get into it. Hello, darlings. 
And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from the Four Pillar Freedom blog. I had never been to uh, Zach here, is the guy's name. I've never been to Zach's blog. Any of you guys been to Zach's blog before? No. I think I might follow that on Twitter. Okay. Well, I like this piece, How to Gain a Better Understanding of the Things that Bring You Joy, Zach writes. Zach says, in my mind, there are two ways you can enhance your quality of life. Spend less time doing things you don't like, and two, spend more time doing the things you do like. Many people are drawn toward the idea of financial independence, early retirement, because it gives you the means to spend less time doing things you don't like and more time doing the things you do like. He says it's obvious that fire, as people call it, can help you do less of the things you don't like. Namely, if you don't like your day job and financial independence retire early gives you the means to quit, then certainly you no longer have to commute to and from work five days per week, spend a huge chunk of your waking hours doing work you may or may not find meaningful, and then spend most of the day being away from your significant other and or family. It's easy to identify the things you don't like, and fire gives you the means to remove those things from your life. It's interesting, though, and I want to stop right there. Katie, do you think a lot about that, about getting rid of the things in your life that you don't like to do? I mean, is that why you work for yourself? You know, I'm in the Dallas area, and so whenever I did commute to work, it took at least an hour because I was kind of going from the suburbs into the main part of Dallas, and it was something that did make me miserable twice a day. Yeah. So I will say that part of me wanting to create my own firm was because of the pace of life, and I wanted to be able to spend more time with family and less time shaking my fists at other drivers on the highways. How much of it was about money, though? I mean, because it seems like when you stop doing that where you work for somebody else and you go to work for yourself, you got to worry about money, though. Oh, yeah. I'm just totally broke now. <laughs> right? Nice. <laughs> Come visit my financial planning office. <laughs> it's a great sales pitch. No, I mean, I think it's always about balancing out what you want in life. And for some people, they would do anything to make a whole lot of money. So especially if somebody comes right out of college and is in finance, they might move to New York. They might work for a big private bank. And maybe they do that for their whole life. But a lot of times I see that people are really excited to do that. And then when they get their head more around how they want to live life, sometimes the dollars just don't make it worth it. Bo, you also uh, work for yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do now. And uh, that was a choice I made two years ago. My wife got into med school and I uh, took the opportunity to move with her to the city we're in now and uh, just went out on my own. I had money saved up, though. Nice. And, uh, yeah. But uh, like I a long time ago decided to choose joy whenever I could because I went through a horrible gambling addiction and went through that whole process and went through what you would call Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Uh, in Canada, it's uh, something different. But, you know, I w- was down and then I went back up because I was doing a bunch of things I didn't like. So it's, the life is too short, you know, when you lose a bunch of years to addiction. But And, and I want to ask you about that. I thought of you about this when I was thinking about this piece, not about the gambling addiction, but about you and I had discussions kind of like, that on your podcast, kind of like the discussion that Zach is having here about doing things that you like and, and avoiding things you don't like. But I'm betting at the time, because it was an addiction, 
that gambling probably felt like the thing you liked, right? Or did it, or was that not the case? It's really interesting in reflection, right? To think about like, you know, did I really like it at the time? It's something that a lot of addicts probably think about. Uh, it was something that I needed to do to be able to cope with a regular life. That's what a lot of uh, addictions are. And it was the thing that I liked that provided me an escape. So yeah, I did like it at the time, but after a while you realize, oh, this is not worth it. Whatever's happening to me is not worth it. And it took some pretty big uh, incidents for me to clue into that. But hey, you know, it's all good now. So, But it also sounds like, too, what you're inferring is other areas of your life you feel like were not going the way you wanted to. So gambling was an escape from that. Like cleaning up the rest of your life and doing getting away from those things was helpful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I did, uh, uh, we'll just say bankruptcy, when I did file, that gave me uh, the break that I needed to explore what was wrong with me. Like, what, like, why am I doing this? Why am I gambling? And I had attention deficit disorder. I didn't know. And, and uh, for a lot of people, that manifests as fear. For me, it did manifest that way. I was afraid to do anything. So once I found out, I got medication for that. And my life changed. I didn't need coping anymore. I wasn't afraid anymore. Now, of course, behavioral therapy too, mindfulness, meditation. And, and today I do transcendental meditation. That uh, kind of keeps me grounded it tells me what i actually want and i don't waste my time on things that i don't want to do i want to continue with this piece uh zach writes it's easy to identify the things you don't like and fire gives you the means to remove those things from your life being financially independent however as odd as it may sound it could be trickier to identify the things that you do like if you've been living in the fog of work for too long you probably become used to the daily routine of commuting to work spending most of the day at the office commuting home spending the rest of the evening either running errands, doing household chores, or watching Netflix. This is what I saw, OG, when I was a financial planner, and tell me if this is the same for you, is that I see people that know what they don't like, but and it's working, and then they retire, and all of a sudden they start to age, they get restless. It isn't any better. Well, especially with the early retirement, because there's so many people – in your cohorts that aren't actually retired at that point. So who are the people that are retired if you decide to retire when you're 40 instead of 60? Who are the people that you're going to see at the grocery store? And who are the people that you're going to see at the golf course or, you know, at the bookstore or whatever? They're going to be other retired people on Tuesday at noon. And most of those retired people are not 40 or 30 or 25 or whatever. So you got to be real cognizant of that as well as what you're going to fill your day doing. I know, Katie, you hear it all the time, too, when people say, oh, you know, when I retire, I'm going to golf. You go, that's great. Have you ever done it every day for a, mu- a week before? I mean, seriously, yeah. like golfing is, I mean, it's, it takes, a, you know, you it, especially, you know, if you don't do it all the time, you get, you know, you're sore. Ask the guys who are pros who do it. It's, they're, they're all world-class athletes, and they still need weeks off at a time to not do that stuff. You say, well, yeah, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm in shape. I can golf every day. Awesome. What are you going to do at noon? Because you golf at eight in the morning, you're done at noon. <laughs> now what? It can't just be that one thing. It has to be, you know, a whole lifestyle change or a whole lifestyle that you're exploring at the same time, I think. And not just, I can't wait to not go to work anymore. It's like, but then I have to do something else. Well, and I know, Katie, what you guys worry about in financial planning is longevity, right? So to OG's point, not just golfing for a week, but can you golf for 40, 50 years? Yeah. I mean, we got to make sure that somebody can golf for 40 or 50 years if they want to 
golf for 40 or 50 years. <laughs> yeah, but there's no way somebody wants to golf seven days a week, 40 or 50 years. I don't, that doesn't tend to be my client. I don't, maybe I'm fishing in the wrong pools here. Yeah. But does your client, but does your client have trouble thinking about what they really want? You know, it's kind of funny. I actually have a lot of clients who do a lot of thinking and a lot of planning and usually kind of a lot of tracking to make sure that they're not always putting off what they want. So I don't know if this is just a matter of who I work with. I work with a lot of Gen X and uh, some Gen Y people, but I feel like a lot of time they're not just reacting to what's happening. They have a really good balance usually of like financial independence later, but also kind of living in the moment right now. But is that, but is that before you, did they come to you that way or did you help them through that? I find some people are, are just naturally more stressed about money. And with those people, if they can get to a point where they're not worrying all the time about it, it kind of frees them up to be able to live their life better. I've also got some people that just come in and are already pretty confident about money, but then they kind of get somebody else to check over everything and they're, they feel like they're able to actually give themselves permission. To oh yeah. Yeah. Kind of relax a little bit instead of just being on pins and needles that they had the third party there. Yeah. Right. But, but, but I would guess this idea of finding out what really does make you happy based on the story you just told has to be something you've spent a lot of time on. Absolutely. There's like, well, I went to see a career counselor actually. And there's these tests for what are your core values, right? One of my core values was freedom, but also helping others. Like money is there, but money's just like a little, it's usually a little bit lower on the list. So like most people, I think not all of their, say, top 10 core values are being met in their job, but enough of them are being met so that they stay. But they could use a little more introspection to find out, you know, could I be doing something a little bit different? And would it make me happier or more full of joy? How do you find the middle ground, though? Because, Bo, you and I both know people who have these things that they love, that they want to do, that fill them full of joy. There's no way they can spend time, as much time as they want to, doing that. Or they try to do that, and you know ahead of time, you're like, yeah, that's not going to pay the bills. There's no way that's going to work. And then sooner or later, they find it out for themselves. Like, how did you find that middle ground where you could do what you love, but still be able to pay the bills and put some money away? Well, specifically, my example is I, you know, I've been able to survive for two years on very little actual income, but money saved up. You could say I just worked double uh, hard before I took this break to pay for a break for myself. And I I think that's totally valid, right? Because it was it was on top of like, you know, I saved a bunch of money by the time I was 35 after I paid everything off. So my retirement accounts are fine. But I had saved cash that I was like, you know what? I could quit my job and live for a year, maybe two. And it, it, I was able to stretch it to two because I made some money. So I think you can use some of the money you saved up to pursue, to give it a try. I think you should need to give it a try. And then, you know, whatever happens, if you got to go back to work after that, like I've found something that I want to do and I'm going to be an insolvency counselor helping people who went through bankruptcy. That's what I'm heading towards in the fall. And I feel really good about that, even though I'm going back to nine to five ish type thing. That's fine with me because I've had my time to think about it and I don't feel uh, forced into it. Right. Or to stay. Yeah. I think that's important. 
Katie, in the change from what you do now, which I'm assuming is doing what you really like, from before what you didn't like, what were the key things you didn't like that you had to remove (laughs) to get to be able to do more time doing what you love? You know, I think it was just kind of a factor of who wealth management firms usually end up working with. And a lot of times it's folks that are really close to retirement or already in retirement. And by the way, it's not, I'm not trying to be ageist here. Um, But at the same time, when I was working for those firms, I was in my 20s and I really didn't have anything in common with the clients. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of times they wanted me to keep proving myself and they'd be like, why should I listen to you? You're the same age as my kid, yada, yada. So I feel like by going to work for myself, the biggest change was me being able to kind of pick and choose who I wanted to work with and just making that switch to working with people that are more or less within 10 to 15 years of how old I am. It really made a really big difference in both like us connecting and being in the same stage of life, but also my enjoyment with actually doing what I'm doing. Use the phrase, uh, people want you to have to prove yourself because you're the age of their kids. Now you're at the same stage of life roughly that they are, and you can then be more of a role model. Right, exactly. So it's kind of like I'm like their health coach. I'm sort of their financial planner and kind of their fitness coach to a degree. But I'm more like a peer-to-peer type relationship versus a expert that a firm hired and then shoved in front of a client and told them that they have to listen to. This guy, Zach OG, he talks about, uh, you know, the the uh, financial independence retire early in Detroit. You and I hosted the Scott Rickens and the Playing With Fire movie. During that movie, he and his spouse, Scott and his spouse, Taylor, they sit down and they make this list of things that make them happy. And they realize a lot of the things about their lifestyle aren't things that make them happy. And Zach, at the bottom of this piece, talks about things that make him happy. Playing piano, keyboard, going hiking, swimming, drawing. Is this the type of thing that you have clients do? I mean, how do you get people to focus on those things that make them happy instead of just constantly, I got to get out of here because it's not what I want to do? Well, I think that it really just boils down to conversations and making sure that as you work with that goal, whatever it is, whether it's financial independence or any other financial goal, that the appropriate whys are behind that. So yeah, you can retire early, but then what? what's on the other side of that or people who want to talk about in their estate plan, you know, charitable giving or something like that. You know, you just want to have the, the, the appropriate conversations around why that's important to them, particularly happiness as he's talking about it here, it comes in a lot of different forms and fashions. You know, it's, it's material things or doing physical things or whatever the case may be, but it also could be something like, you know, you notice, that uh, clients tend to give a ton of money to church every year. And that's great. Well, that can be a discussion point for a future conversation around, is there an opportunity to leverage that or leverage your giving into the future beyond just, you know, what you're doing on an annual basis or something like that. So kind of expanding on that, I think helps. The big takeaway from this uh, for you, Bo? Yeah, that you should actually pause and maybe look at your life every so often. A lot of people are just on autopilot, right? Got to go to work, got to go home. Like you said, Netflix, 
you know, and then you get up well, in the morning and do the same thing. And also, even when it comes to money, I think a lot of people, even listening to this show, who examine that are on autopilot because it feels like there's a portion of our audience, just based on the questions we get sometimes, which are just about, how do I get more, better, faster? And they're not even examining if more, better, faster is worth it. Or is what they want. Yeah, right, right. right. Or is this just what everyone else is saying? Is that what the ad told you? You know, what... <laughs> What do you want? And that's a, it's a hard question. People don't explore it unless they have to. I was in an unfortunate circumstance where I was basically forced to, uh, but not everyone, like it's almost, it's a curse and a blessing, right? Sure. You get to know yourself, but you have to go through this uh, horrible thing. I don't wish it on anyone, but it can, you know, it could really be valuable. I kind of want everyone to have something happen when they're young so that they can, learn. Hey, Katie, your takeaway, anything, Dad? I, mean, I think part of the article was great about talking about reflecting on what you actually do like that could be a smaller thing that might be able to be tweaked. So for example, if you really like being able to spend time with family, I know in our family, I'm married to an engineer and I'm a financial planner. So sometimes we have zero creativity when it comes to <laughs> planning anything. But the zero but creativity it's done is correctly, that's, that's for right. sure. <laughs> but I love our little routines. Like every Friday we have pizza and we do a movie. Um, God forbid I ever try to do anything other than that because it would be a complete uproar in our household. But at the same time, I'm exhausted on Friday. So it's good that we're not trying to force ourselves to go out to eat or, you know, to go meet up with a bunch of friends. So it works for us. And it's just one of those little things that we're able to say, okay, well, this is what makes us happy. It kind of cracked me up because articles like, oh, you go on autopilot, you're watching Netflix and sit at home. And I'm like, that's what I like doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you've examined it. I love that. Yes. Yes. You made the choice. Yes. I've examined that I'm a complete homebody uh, <laughs> on Fridays. Oh, gee, how about you? I think my favorite part of it was when he talked about the food, like how he liked Chipotle and coffee. <laughs> those are my favorite parts because <laughs> I like both of those too. Amanda, we have a treat for you today. Normally, this is where we do the Friday FinTech segment, where we shine a spotlight on a financial company doing something cool. And an area that has not been cool, though, for a long time has been mortgages. And just the other day, I found out that Joel German, who's executive vice president of Web Banking Center over at Quicken Loans, is my neighbor. This is part of the fun of moving from a small town like Texarkana, Texas to Detroit, Michigan, is that some people who are doing a lot of the moving in the mortgage space living right around the corner from me. So I'm talking to Joel and I said, hey, you've got to you've got to come down to the basement and uh, jump on the microphone and let's talk mortgages for a while. We haven't done this in a long time. So I'm really excited that we have. He's been upstairs talking to mom, Joel German from Quicken Loans, coming down to the basement. Andy just sat down. Mm. We're so happy to have him here. 
from Quicken Loans. It's our new friend, Joel German. How are you, man? I'm so happy to be a first timer in the basement here. <laughs> know. You, know? you got the mom experience upstairs. I did. It, now you get the microphone down here. It, it's surreal. It really, truly is. It is surreal for us to have you here, man. <laughs> Well, because I know you guys are all about process and uh, a lot of people are frustrated with mortgages. But before that, while we have you here, mm-hmm. we've heard a lot lately about the about interest rates going down. The Federal Reserve lowering interest rates might do it again. Who knows? Sure. But what does that have to do with mortgages? Well, I think it, you know there is a certain misconception about that because when you look at today's world, you've got the Federal Reserve saying one thing and they're bringing rates down and you've got essentially the, the market's showing a little something different. And what that ultimately means is you're going to live through some volatility. And that's what we've seen. We've seen the stock market drop 600 points in a day. We've seen it rebound. When you talk about interest rates and the impact that the Fed has in that, a lot of that's typically baked in. They're already talking about an additional you know, adjustment in September, et cetera, uh, or throughout the end of the year. That's really baked in. What you see affect interest rates more often than not are the anomalies. So, for example, you know, a few weeks back, you had President Trump talk about the tariffs and then not the tariffs. And that moved interest rates a little bit more because, again, those are the things that the market can't really account for in advance. But when, you, when the Fed starts talking and, and doing their Fed speak, the ball is in motion in terms of interest rates at that point. Well, my understanding is you guys also, I mean, you you guys, sure. you mortgage people, you, <laughs> you guys are, are based on a whole different set of things like T-bills or treasuries instead Certainly. of the Fed. So there's not yep. even a direct correlation there, is there? Yeah. If you want to track interest rates, the thing that's probably going to get you closest to it is the 10-year treasury and, and the movement on that. The 10-year treasury, essentially people would move into the bond market because the stock market is a little bit too volatile and vice versa. They move into the stock market because it's a good investment and they move out of the bond market and those have the the ebbs and flows in terms of rates on a regular basis. But what we see a lot of the time is it's not the Fed that's moving that stuff. It's these other It's factors. still this other news. Yeah, it really is. And you know, the, the Fed made their adjustment, their most recent adjustment, and it really didn't do anything to pricing on that specific day. But you see the, the president say, hey, we're going to tar- apply tariffs, and then we're not going to apply tariffs till December. And that had massive fluctuation in the markets. I have heard that when it comes to mortgage rates, it's really very hard to predict where rates are going tomorrow. Would you say that's true? I would. Listen, the old mortgage guy adage is if I knew where rates were going to go tomorrow, I would be you know, a very, very, very wealthy man. <laughs> so I would agree with you. It's very difficult to put a thumb on. Exactly it's like us with the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got any tips yeah. that are surefire, you know, I would not be, I'd love to stack some Benjamins myself. So I would not be working in my mom's basement, Joel, Understood. If, I, if I knew that. Understood. When it comes to mortgage rates- mm-hmm. I can go to Bankrate, I can go to LendingTree, I can go to all these different places, and I see these comparisons, right? I can go to the, here in Detroit, we can go to the Detroit Free Press, and and on page seven of the business section, it'll show all these rates. I've heard that before referred to as everybody's best lie. Is that true? I think that in today's world, there's a lot that goes into calculating an interest rate for somebody. So for example, credit quality plays a role in that. Um, Loan size plays a role in that. You know, investment versus non-investment. If you're talking about a purchase, how much you're putting down, the PMI factors, all of these numbers go into it. Really, truly the best way to understand is get on the phone and talk to somebody about your specific situation. Now, there will come a point, and and we're getting there, and and the technology is improving, where all those questions can be answered, but it's really, really difficult to get a true answer. You know, I could put a plug in here, but our technology at Rocket Mortgage will take you down those paths and ask you the right questions or really get you into the right program and narrow down a rate for you. But very often you will find that the rates on paper, there's some small print down there based on, again, those those factors that maybe aren't taken into consideration. And it does become more of a marketing rate. But if you ask a few of the right questions and you dig in a little bit, you'll get to the right place. 
Asking interest rates, though, isn't the only question that I need to ask. I think there's probably questions about what fees am I going to be charged? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you were looking at a $100,000 loan, um, for example, uh, and you wanted a 0% interest rate, I could do that for you. It would just cost you $100,000 to get it in theory, right? You know, So everything is relative. I think that you're asking the right question because there are more pieces to the puzzle here. Someone's interest rate is going to be tied to things like maybe they're, again, they're PMI factors. If they're putting money down, if they're not, you know, so you want to understand exactly what your payment's going to be, because that's the bigger deal here. At the end of the day, there are products where maybe you have have a lower interest rate, but you have a higher PMI factor. So your end payment ends up higher, things of that nature. There are other programs where the PMI is so low that having a, a, a higher interest rate to get there is, is a better situation for you. Again, it's about going a little bit deeper to your specific situation. And whenever you're ready to move out of the basement, you know, we can we can certainly we can certainly dig in and ask those right questions to get you there. Two words, dude. Free rent. <laughs> I've said it a million times. I'm not fortunate enough to live in my mom's basement, but I truly have said it. I would move back if I could. If you could. Yes. If She'd take me too. So. Yeah, but would your family be happy with that? That's the problem. That's the holdup right yes. now. That's I'm working on it. I'm they really love grandma though. They they do on Sunday nights. That's right. you know, for dinner. But I don't know about, you know, every day and the house coat and, you know, stuff like that. Who knows? I want to talk about innovation. we got a few minutes left. Yep. Innovation in mortgages. I know that you guys have been pushing that for a long time. There's a lot of pain points in the mortgage business. How are you guys working to solve those pain points? Yeah. Listen, we all know that the world is going in a certain direction, and that is speed, automation, technology involvement. And there are certain parts of the business that aren't there yet, but there are others that are really getting there. And a great example of that would be from the income standpoint, because I'm guessing you do a lot of your work. Uh, you know, via your bank, you you, you know, you're, you're making automated payments. Who knows? Maybe maybe the the, the vast fortune of money that's coming from this podcast is being dra- <laughs> deposited directly, and you can track that through things like that. Technology now is able to, or the technology we're at least using is able to see that information. So you don't have to provide pay stubs anymore in, in a lot of cases or tax returns. You can provide us access to certain accounts, and we can see all that information. And we much have, faster, much faster, much easier for you. Error rates are lower, you know, accuracy of transaction. I mean, you, there's no, if you tell me, hey, I make X a month, okay, that's great. Then I've got to verify that and everything. But if we go right online and we verify and pull up your information and I can implement that into the technology right away, there's no questions. It's all done right there. And whether it's the income piece of things or if it's the assets, if you're buying a home, that certainty up front takes a lot of the pressure off of whether it's a refinance or a purchase. And that's what this is all about. It's about, you know, helping people make good decisions, whether it's refinancing and, and putting your your world in a better place and, and, and getting cash out. And we're in a position right now where we keep saying, hey, the, I mean, we call it the era of abundance, but it's been going on now for darn close to 12 years. Yeah, I mean, right. Really. Right. Um, you know, or if it's, you know, again, buying a home, like these are big decisions to make, but we want to make them as simple as possible. And, and leveraging some of that technology has really been helping there. Industry-wide, are you seeing the big fintech push help with that? Like, are they pushing your guys' buttons and other bigger companies' buttons to make sure that you're still on the cutting edge? It's not so much the big companies that are doing it. I think it's the smaller companies that are innovating. And we've always said- Well, that's what I'm talking about. These little fintech companies coming that are pushing everybody's button. Yeah, for sure. You know, sometimes it's a blessing not to have, in our case, 30 plus years of experience or, you know, these other massive banks, you know, 100 years of experience. They come in with a concept and an idea, and they're really leveraging a lot of the same things that I'm talking about. The, The technology that we use right now to verify income and verify asset and do it right at point of contact initially 
that's probably the future of this business and and simplifying certain things whether there'll come a point where appraisals aren't necessary that will happen it happens in certain situations right now but simplifying the process i mean i don't know when your mom bought this place but her process back in the day was probably fairly antiquated it involved a, an inch or two of paperwork and and things of that nature we got a long way to go, but it has come a long way. And I think everything you've seen in, in this industry over the past, let's call it 10 years and, and some of the regulation that's gone on, you're going to see continue more and more quality of process and speed of process. And that's something we've always been committed to. We're in the era of abundance. The business has never been better right now because of where interest rates are. And yet our process allows us to continue to do what we're doing rapidly. We're getting loans closed in 30 days where, you know, years and years and years 30 ago, days. you bet. And, and years and years and years ago, it took a lot longer. Yeah. Than that. Right. And we weren't doing as much. So the process is really the difference and the experience of the client is the difference as well. You mentioned regulation. Mm-hmm. I know that things have changed a ton since, you know, the 2007, 2008. I don't sure. even want to ask you about which desk you were hiding under during that time frame. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> You've blocked I, it out. Absolutely. No, it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a challenging time for sure. Yeah. yeah, but regulation, the mortgage industry, my understanding is it's a lot tighter. Where do you see that headed in the future? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Where we're at right now, the process has allowed for the right level of regulation, meaning that you have to have a certain expectation as a business of doing the right things. Fortunately, I can say that we've always been a part of that. We weren't wrapped up in a yeah. lot of this stuff. Um, the products that got a lot of people in trouble weren't products that we dealt with. We didn't, we didn't do those loans. But I, I think that you're probably going to, you know, everything is cyclical. So if you go back to 2007, 2008, what was the norm back then has gone away in terms of, let's call it no documentation and things of that nature. I think you're probably seeing things open up in, in different places. I don't think it'll ever get back to a, a place where uh, you can get a loan without being qualified, certainly, because I think there were lenders that were doing that. And we saw that. But I think that you're going to get to a place where the process has simplified itself and we can do it a lot easier in terms of, like I said, using the machine learning techniques that we have, leveraging some of the uh, technology from a, a, an asset or an income standpoint. I think you're seeing Fannie and Freddie understand that things like appraisals, it's all data, right? Yeah. Everything that we're moving to a place where the data rules. And if we have that data, there's no need to have certain levels of regulation in place because if the data is dependable and the data is true, you know, there's a lot we can learn from from the processes that we already have in place. Yeah, that's a good point. You can write a uh, mortgage that makes you guys happy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's successful. I mean, actually, what makes you guys happy is if it's successful for the homeowner, too. They stay that's in the right. house. They stay there. Yep. You're happy. Everybody's happy. That's right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, my last question is another question for a guy who has been in the field for a while. You know, it used to be back when I was practicing a decade ago Mm. that finding a good mortgage broker who knew the process could uh, kind of shepherd your stuff through it was incredibly important. But we're sitting here across this card table talking about machine learning, Mm data-driven, process-driven. How important is that person still in the process? I think they're still very important in the process. The technology is only as good as the person who is asking the questions to get the information into that technology or is good enough to explain, make sure that you are fully aware of how the process works, right? 
I always used to say my favorite clients when I was a banker were the ones that asked the most questions that frankly were the hardest upfront to deal with because once they got to this place where I was able to give them the information that they needed, they were my most loyal clients. And that's they, funny because not to stop yeah. you, Joel, but those were when I was a financial planner, yeah. those were my favorite clients too. That's right. The ones that wanted to know under the hood, how does this work? Because right. inevitably, if something went wrong, they they knew where in the process things were wrong and it was their strategy, not mine. Yeah. And again, those are the most loyal clients. That's yeah. where I got you know, built my business off of. And I think that the same thing applies. It's just a matter of implementing not only their data, we talk about their data, but the data that we have that we can provide them, educating them on what matters, right? And and how, if it's a refinance, how a refinance benefits them and, and walk through the math and make sure that they understand it. The technology is going to help in a big way there and, and the data will always help. But I think we're still in a place where you need to talk to somebody. There will always be an, a certain percentage of people that need that human interaction. What we're seeing is that is decreasing, but I, I certainly don't see a time where there will never be that, that human interaction. We like to say that machines are good at certain things, right? Addition, subtraction, calculations, things of that nature. But when it comes to educating and communicating and so forth, you still need a human being you know, to do that. So I think that the role of that broker is still one that's very, very, very engaged in the process. And, and I'm hoping, speaking of that, I think strategy is huge when mm -hmm. it comes to the human interaction. We'd love to have you back again soon to talk. Maybe stackers have some mortgage strategy questions. They're dealing with some stuff. Maybe you could come back and answer a few of those. Absolutely. If your mom will have me, I'll, I'm happy to... <laughs> You know, I'm happy to come back anytime into the basement. Here. I don't know if you like coming back for this or the cookies. I'm not sure. Hey, who says no to cookies? You know. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Hey, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in the spirit of Game of Thrones creator George R.R. R. Martin's birthday, thought we should kill off a character. Oh, I've been waiting for this for years. Well... Since Joe's mom said we can't do that, even though OG's really not been great lately, and I can't say I've loved working with him recently, I thought I'd share some Game of Thrones money trivia. Check this one out. In season one of Game of Thrones, each episode had a budget of, oh my God, uh, just a couple of bucks more than this podcast. Each episode had a budget of six million dollars we have a budget of six dollars and honestly I, I don't even see evidence that they're even spending six bucks an episode but i'll you know i'll take joe's word for it but with winter coming and all let's keep today's trivia short and sweet how much did each episode cost hbo for season eight All right, we explain the convoluted rules to this podcast to our panel ahead of time. Bo is playing on behalf of Paula. OG moved into a tie with Paula for second place. Now, Paula has seven. OG has seven. Katie's playing on behalf of Len Penzo. Katie, you're leading the way with nine. So no pressure on either one of you. But because OG was the last to move into the tie, that means that you get to decide first then, Bo, on behalf of Paula. Would you like to guess first, in the middle, or last? You're not guessing what the answer is. Just do you want the first guest, middle guest, or last guest? I feel Paula and I haven't met officially yet, but I feel like she would want to go last. That That is really strange. That is strange. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and by the way, the reason Paula wants to go last, and I explain this to our panel ahead of time, but if it's your first time listening, the reason for that, we play this Price is Right style. So we're the closest without going over. So that means, OG, would you like to go in the middle or swing away first? Middle. In the middle. Which means, Katie, you're playing on behalf of Len, and you get to guess, season eight, one episode of Game of Thrones, how much money does that cost? Did that cost? Well, let's see. I mean, they got to get all the costumes, and they have to get these actors that they've paid more and more and more money. Earlier in the seasons, they were at $6 million per episode. And these actors, they've got to keep them around, keep them from going to some other great show that's going to pay up <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode. So I'm going to go with $8.2 million. $8.2 million. Some inflation there. All right. I mean, am I supposed to go with like exact, you know, dollar amounts with cents at the end? That's pretty, you could go 8.2 and one penny. We'll go 8.2 and one penny. 8.2 and one penny. I'm sure that's the exact budget. Judy, what do you think the budget should be? 8.2. Oh, wait. 8.2 and one penny. Uh, OG? Okay. So this is a pretty popular show. And the aforementioned hiring and firing of people, dragons, getting them, filling their bellies full of fire, can't be cheap. Plus, they probably recorded it live, so I'm sure it was, they did. probably was a. It was actually more of like a time period piece that they recovered from a long time ago. So those were real people back in the 1800s or 17, whatever the hell the movie show was. I can made. I can see you making a mental spreadsheet right now. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna say that it's profoundly more than that, in that. Um, Six and uh, we're going to go up to nineteen million an episode. Nineteen million dollars, a lot of inflation on that one. I, I right. just think it costs a lot of. I mean, once you get with dragons, yeah, sure, their agents are sons of guns. So, Bo, what are you thinking, man? Well. I really wanted to do $1, but that's not happening in this scenario. Why not? Uh, I, well, because I don't think that it's Could. less than 8.2 million. I really don't. I just want to apologize to Paula ahead of time. <laughs> you know, just don't be, don't be too hard on me. <laughs> I think that's a lot of years. And I think at the beginning, I, I, I agree. I agree with OG. Uh, dragons cost a lot. And uh, I haven't watched past season three, I think, but I've heard that there are lots of dragons and they're yeah. big, I mean, much they bigger than a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. first you got to find them. I mean, have, think about how long it would take to like go on an expedition to actually find a dragon. I think well, they have I heard, PR agents. They yeah. I heard the contract them. negotiations are, uh, are pretty, they're really good at that. That's the uh, dragons. Well, all so, their, all their agents are unicorns. So there you go. That's right. Exactly. We're all unicorns, Joe. All uh, inside. Inside we are. Inside. Don't do that when We're I'm all, taking uh, so, a drink. <laughs> Almost all over my microphone. Okay. I think it's higher than OG. And so I'm not going to take the risk of going over because I can't, I won't win if I go over, right? So I'm going to say 
19 you said 19 million og that is what i said yes 19 million and one penny <laughs> here comes the hammer yes. i don't even get one dollar <laughs> wait so you started at a dollar and somehow you ended up at no, 19 I, million and a penny i was hoping the question would let me do a dollar or that you guys would guess like so high that i could be like oh it's way lower than that but i don't get to do my dollar that i've always dreamed of after listening to so many episodes i think it's still be so. great if it's uh like still six million. Seven million or something. <laughs> be so, be so well, maybe great. they're really good at budgeting. Well, let's see uh which one of you is right. Of course, we can't do that now. We have to make you wait for a second, so we'll be right back. Well, big thanks to Acre Trader for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, the reason that I like Acre Trader is as a kid growing up in the country, I worked in farms. And while you don't want to go into farming if you don't know anything about it. I think even if you're not from the farm, it's easy to get what I get, which is this. Farmers go out and lease land from property owners so that they can farm. As long as their rent check clears, the landlord then makes money. And because it's farmland and there's less of it all the time, in fact, statistics show that farmland is going away at an alarming rate, you then get a consistent income stream. However, because farmland is going away at such a quick rate, you also see that historically farmland has been a much more boring investment than commercial real estate or residential real estate. And what I mean by boring is historically you've not seen nearly the price gyration that you've seen with those other types of real estate. Now, you need to be an accredited investor and you certainly want to look that up ahead of time. You also need to know that your money is going into the ground. The way the Acre Trader makes this affordable for you and I is using some of the new investing rules that have happened over the past few years. Acre Trader subdivides the field and sells off little pieces of it instead of the entire field. So in the past where people like you and I have not been able to invest in a, in a full field, that's a lot of your net worth in one spot, you could now take a much smaller piece of your net worth and get started. So for an explainer video, more about how it works, head to acretrader.com forward slash SB. That's acretrader.com forward slash SB. Hey there, stackers, Northlanders, Lannisters, and Targaryens. I don't even, I'm just reading the script. Before the break, I asked you how much each episode of Season 8 of Game of Thrones cost. Well, after you account for the fact that it costs money to give those dragons flying lessons, and, you know, of course, there was that Starbucks unofficial sponsorship and all those caskets they must have had to buy for the killed-off characters, I'm sure you knew it was much bigger than the $6 million per episode of Season 1, not to mention the price tag of OG's bag stylist when he was an extra in one of the battles allegedly i swear watch it in slow motion the dragon scene at king's landing in the next to last episode he's the third soldier from the left running for cover screaming for his mommy but okay, okay all right okay enough stalling i'll get to it here's your answer in total each episode was budgeted at 50 million dollars that's one heck of a lot of silver stags i don't know what a podcast would do with cgi but i'm i'm gonna go see if i can get stacking benjamin's a piece of that pie see ya 
Uh, Close. I was Close. really far away, but I think I won, right? You won. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Bo, you Chelsea Brennan, the wrong person. The wrong one. <laughs> it couldn't have been 20 million. That, that sounds reasonable too. It, was, right? it does. 20 million does sound reasonable. I thought when OG started thinking about it and said 19, I knew because I worked with our producer, Caden, on this one to get Doug the right thing because you can't trust Doug to get it by himself. And uh, OG, you were going, I'm going to, so I'm going to guess. And I thought you were going to say 15 million. And I was like, oh, if he landed right on it. But I feel pretty close, actually. 19 versus versus 15. I feel pretty good about it. Unfortunately, it doesn't count for anything. So, Well, so, Bo, when you see Paula at uh, FinCon, just I would stay away from this topic. That's all I'd do. Yes. <laughs> and if it's something and, distracting. Yeah. And Katie, if you see Len Penzo, you guys are now BFFs. So there you go. Len, I like chai lattes with almond milk <laughs> in case you would like to buy me one. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Hey guys, what, what does Paula like? I, I'd like to buy her. <laughs> you, you gotta, you got to. Uh, what does? Oh, the hot dog. Remember, OG, she likes that that one hot dog that she gets down in the corner at Vegas. Remember, with all the stuff on it, like the horrible. She eats a hot dog the horrible way, almost like if you had a pickle on it. Just disgusting. So you could buy Paula a Las Vegas strip hot dog. Yes, do that, Bo. <laughs> this is not helpful. Not helpful. <laughs> hey guys, let's take out the go up to Paula. And go. I don't know you, and you don't know me, but I got you a hot dog. <laughs> I just want to see that. I want to videotape that. That's that's the open. Hey, let's What's ta- happening now. <laughs> let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you, courtesy of MagnifyMoney.com. Because when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what you find, Katie? What do you find? You find that those financial products people use every day because they go to a brick and mortar bank and that's it. They're nowhere near the best in class. In fact, over 92% of the products available online, they're all ranked at magnifymoney.com. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. And today we're going to do a big favor and help Christopher magnify his money. Say hi, Christopher. Hi, this is Chris from Virginia. Even though I'm probably not going to learn anything, I'm going to ask the question anyway. But before I ask, I do want to say I appreciate all you do for people on helping them stack some Benjamins. Well, my question is around software. I'm really interested in retirement withdrawal software. And it seems like every time I do a search for that, the only thing I get is, will you have enough in retirement? I feel like I'm going to be fine there, but I do have taxable accounts. I have Roth accounts, 401k, and I just want to make sure that strategically I withdraw down the most tax efficient way. So thanks a lot. Hopefully you're enjoying something good down in your mom's basement, and I appreciate what you do. Hey, thanks for the kind words, Chris. I appreciate it. And uh, and it is interesting. A lot of the software out there is made for like wealth accumulation, but taking money out most efficiently. That's the thing I remember when I was a financial planner I had. But um, but man, uh, Bo, do you know, is there is there anything that you know of that's about withdrawing money most efficiently, even if it is, you know, written in Canadian? Well, that's the thing. Anything that I say is not going to be helpful to Chris. Well, actually, maybe uh, it will be because I know some of these software programs, like even the ones I used to use, you can fill in the blanks. You can switch. Yeah. Or or can 
because I'm thinking about government benefits being included in all these calculations, oh, and yeah, they're very yeah. different, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's what I always tell someone, uh, you know, at FinCon, if they say, try my retirement calculator, uh, I'm like, well, you don't have my pension plan and my yeah. old age security in there. So, well, I would leave this personally. Okay, so you can either go to a planner, which is what I would recommend to anyone who is looking to do anything tax efficiently. So, you know, find one. But you can also buy in Canada, you can buy a month of financial planning software that I used to use it 70 bucks a month, pay for one month, do your own type in your numbers. It'll do all the calculations for you. Oh, that's you might idea. have some like that in the States. Yeah. Cause it's expensive to have the subscription. It's made for planners, right? But buy one month, do your thing. It'll set you up for a bit. If you need to do it again in the future, you can pay for another month. Maybe uh, it's not a lot of money considering you probably, you know, let's say you have 500,000 or a million dollars that you're looking at anyway. So uh, that's, that's what I would do. Our Canadian listeners are screaming at their device right now. If I don't ask you the next question, which is what's the <laughs> name of the software for our Canadian listeners? The one that you like, what's the name of it? Oh, I, yeah, I wasn't going to plug them, but I, I did use uh, it's a, it's called snap projections. I think it's a pretty good, uh, it was really like, not too, not the ones where you like, you do all the, like, what if I want to buy a, a house when I'm 77 and you put that in there? Like you, there's probably that, but like not too complicated and not too simple. And I think it fits right in the middle. Perfect for someone who doesn't know, like who's not a planner to use, I would say snapprojections.com. Yeah. Now we'll go to the planners. You guys know any off the shelf software, Katie, any off the shelf software that might be helpful for Chris? I find a lot of times that whoever the 401k provider is actually has the most easy to use tools, but that's very, very dependent on who your company uses for their 401k and whether that 401k company has actually put a bunch of time and effort into those tools. So I've seen a really wide variation between uh, where some clients just have a slider that says you aren't saving enough. And that's probably not what this particular. It's like two is. thumbs up. You're good. It's like, <laughs> that's like reassuring. Or a, or a sad <laughs> face. Yeah. And then I've seen ones where it kind of defaults to certain variables that you would put in, but you could really dive in there and, and look at different what if scenarios. Unfortunately, it really depends on who you end up with as your 401k provider. Mm. I've actually had some clients ask me if they should use financial planning software. And I'm like, man, it took me at least five years probably of being in full-time financial planning before I actually knew how to put stuff in so that anything that made sense would come back out of it. I don't know. I just kind of go on the side of if that was my full-time job and I had already gone through CFP education, I'm not sure I would encourage somebody to go try to buy a financial planning software package if it's not one that's actually more tweaked for individual usage. OG, any uh, any ideas? No, none at all. Um, I don't think that I could say it any better than Katie did. There's a lot of public tools out there, depending on where your money is presently, that can help with this. But it also, I guess I was thinking about it from the perspective of like, well, how, how really, how complicated is it to think about? And I get that probably what he wants to do is model this out for like decades in advance. 
But the reality is, is that, I mean, under the current law, the tax situation that we have right now is only good for the next six and a half years anyway. So whatever you model out is likely going to be different or broken or changed or, you know, whatever anyway. So why not just take it kind of like on a two or three year time horizon and say, okay, you know, I want to maximize the low bracket as much as possible out of my qualified plans. You know, that takes me up to X dollars. So my first X dollars I'm going to take out of my IRA. Then I'm going to take my next dollars out of my brokerage account, you know, or whatever, like however it works best for him. You know, people nowadays are trying to manipulate the data for reporting requirements as it relates to their healthcare costs, especially if they're in that kind of period of time between retirement and when Medicare kicks in at 65. You know, so that has a a secondary factor and sometimes even it's a primary factor as it relates to where that money is going to come out of and how you're going to, quote, live for the first few years of retirement anyway, because it's like, well, I don't want to take too much money because if I do, I'm going to have to pay 20 grand in insurance premiums. So I'll just be broke for the next two years and save myself 20 grand type of deal. So I think you take it more of a case by case basis year to year, maybe kind of this year and next year and maybe the year after is kind of how you start thinking about it. But I'm with Katie, you know, you can go buy a subscription to Navaplan or Money Guide Pro or eMoney, all the tools that advisors use. But good luck trying to make it work correctly. I just don't know that I would risk that. I think the other alternative, Bo, you might have even said this as it relates to just finding an advisor. There's different types of planners out there too. There's people out there who double check your math for a flat fee. And then there's people Mm -hmm. who manage your entire portfolio for money also and everywhere in between. Maybe the right thing is to do is just to hire somebody for a few hours of work and pay a few thousand dollars, you know, depending on how complicated it is. Same, the same kind of thing Bo recommended at the beginning. Just, yeah. Yeah. That, that's my first choice. Like if you really want to do it yourself, you might be able to find something in, in Canada that's easy ish, but I totally hear what you're saying. You guys have the healthcare component that I don't even understand that you have to factor we in. We don't understand it either. That's the great part. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's all make believe. It's just money into a drain. That's all you I just show up at the down. hospital. Yeah. And they, they but say, we do too. But do then want? they send us a bill for forty two thousand dollars. <laughs> I thought I had insurance. They're like, yeah, it doesn't cover that. Like does it cover a broken arm? No, I'm sorry. But if you would have broken your clavicle. It does cover it, but you have to spend the first 20 grand out of pocket. Right. And uh, that's only for that part of it. It's crazy. Anyways. Katie, you're raising your hand. Me, (laughs) me, 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 me. me. (laughs) Well, actually, I, I combed through a bunch of different resources. And I will say, if you tried to actually look at retirement withdrawal strategies, you will get about a hundred different websites trying to sell you stuff. <laughs> but then there is one that I thought of that I actually like. It's myretirementpaycheck.org. It's actually through the National Endowment for Financial Education. They're a complete nonprofit. And they are actually one that like the Financial Planning Association affiliates with, especially for educational resources. So they actually have quite a few very informational they're not trying to push you towards an investment company or towards an annuity or anything else. It's more on a what you need to know basis. I think they've got some calculators on there, but they're pretty light. But at least they can kind of give you food for thought on when you might want to take out of your Roth IRA versus your taxable assets. And if you've got like an overabundance of money where you think you're going to have money left over, 
where you might want to park that and be able to take out of those different buckets. I have a couple more that I'll throw on top to just make sure that Chris has complete analysis paralysis before this is over. He's going to be so excited. So frozen. He can't do anything. (laughs) If you look up the website, can I retire yet? My friend, uh, Daryl Kirkpatrick and his, uh, and actually Chris Mamula is going to not only be coming up on the show, but he's also uh, on his way to Detroit here in early October. But Chris and Darrow, this site, Can I Retire Yet? They have a a retirement calculator, kind of a whole spreadsheet that shows a bunch of different ones and they evaluate all the different ones for whatever you want. A guy that uh, we've had on the show also is Jason Parker. He has uh, sound retirement planning and he has a great calculator that we're actually an affiliate with. So this is why I want to mention this one last. His deal is if you use Benjamin's, in the coupon code, you end up getting half price. And by the way, he is consistently updating that calculator. I think he's updated it twice since the first time we talked about it about six months ago. So that's retirementbudgetcalculator.com and use the code Benjamins and you'll get uh, half price on that. Plus all the add-ons later, you'll get free. So now we've given him 57 resources. So Chris, <laughs> good luck. There you go. Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for the question. You got a question for our roundtable? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And like Chris, we're going to send Chris a a Greatest Money Show on Earth Circus t-shirt just for being brave enough to ask us a question. So that's going to do it for today, guys. Let's go uh, ladies first. Katie, what the heck is going on at Your Richest Life Planning right now? Well, I mentioned earlier, we're kind of revving up for the fall for employee benefits season. So I'm just kind of getting people excited as much as you could excite clients about getting a whole bunch of paperwork and decisions that they have to make. But I always feel like that's the type of year when we might have opportunities to be able to do things that you can only do through an employer. Or if you're self-employed, it could be a time where you actually set up things for the next year. So for example, if somebody doesn't have a set or they don't have a, a solo 401k, Waiting until the middle of December is probably not the best thing. So thinking about it coming up to the end of the year can be really helpful for being able to put it in place either for the rest of this year or starting next year. And we'll link to your Riches Life Planning on our show notes page, but how do people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's Katie, K-A-T-I-E-Y-R-L, short for Your Riches Life or yourrichestlifeplanning.com. Or if you're too lazy to type all that out, you can just do yrlplanning.com because I spent the extra $5 to get that. You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) That redirect is all yours. Uh, That's why everybody gets a $5 surcharge on their fee with, no, I'm kidding. Right. They're supplementing the $5 that I spent for that extra URL. That's, That's right. Yeah. Bo, it's about time we got you here, man. Yeah, it, I, li- I started listening to the Stacking Benjamin show when I was driving from Canada down to Orlando last year. That is <laughs> crazy that you would just, and you didn't fall asleep. That's a good thing. Well, not yeah, I I don't think I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, w- would I remember? I don't know. Um, the, I'm driving to DC this year too, a little shorter. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But still you're driving. How many, how, geez, how many hours is that? 10? 
it'll be eight in a bit to get to DC. From I'm leaving from Windsor. I'm I'll be very nearby. You'll be very... dropping the baby and the the wife off uh, the parents. Now, does time work the same in Canada, or do you guys have? Is it like uh, on Mars, where there's well, like time a difference? The same. Time is uh, it's, it's like, a little bit colder, so it's like it's just everything it's just like, it's like temperature. It's like just yeah, a weird calculation. Well, our, yeah, our time is in Celsius, so <laughs> that's exactly it's, uh, right. <laughs> A hundred is um, boiling. It's all like military time. It's, just they confuse the heck out of them. You only have you only have twenty. That's right. You you have twenty hours a week uh, a day. Military time is in Quebec. There you go. There you go. So okay. there it is. Uh, if, you'll find it there. But yeah, so uh, I'm gonna do a hundred uh, hundred episodes by the time uh, actually at FinCon. It'll be my hundredth episode. Oh, that's so I'm awesome! Going to be recording it uh, there on stage. Uh, Very with good. some special guests, so that'll be uh, that'll be great. That's a fantastic milestone. And uh, just so people know that are listening, the average podcast goes seven episodes. So yeah, right. Whenever somebody reaches a hundred, you like that is just that is so unbelievable. Fifteen cool. times better than average. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so tell us what's coming up on the show, though. What 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 do you got coming up on the Personal Finance Show? Yeah. So other than that, the hundredth show, which uh, I haven't recorded yet, uh, I got Aaron Lowry on, uh, which you, uh, you've had on. Broke uh, Millennial. Yes. Broke Millennial. And uh, Bridget Casey is coming up this week. She's uh, Money After Graduation. It's a big site in Canada. And I, I think in North America as well. I right? follow her on uh, Instagram. She's always entertaining. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Bridget is, uh, she's very well uh, educated when it comes to money and she has great YouTube videos too. And, uh, you know, we just talked about uh, her story, which is very interesting. She almost was a doctor. So, oh, that's uh, funny. <laughs> like very close to becoming a doctor. So uh, it's funny where we how we pivot. Right. And that's why I like telling stories. Yes. There's pivots all over the place. And sometimes they're really interesting and they're very enabling. You can pivot, too. Right. Don't be stuck. Right? That's my favorite part. Whenever I read about businesses or hear about somebody's career is wh- where's that turn? Like, where did it finally turn around for you? And most entrepreneurs and most just successful people in general can tell you like exactly where they were when they're like, you know what? It's got to change. And then everything went from there. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. I thought you just decided to be a business owner and then it just all works out. Well, yeah, then it magically works. That's every business owner listening knows that. I mean, that's what the Internet told me. (laughs) Yes, it's all easy. Yeah. The idea of passive income. Right. That's going to do it for today. Well, OG, I didn't ask you. Uh, I was going to say, no, I'm good. I don't have anything going on, apparently. <laughs> well, let me guess. You're flying planes. You're doing your after-school activities. You're hanging out with the kids. Okay, fine. Carry on. That's going to do it for today, you then. Tell when I'm not wanted. <laughs> Everybody, uh, thanks for listening. And Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? Well, first, joy is subjective. But the solution is simple. Spend more time doing the things you enjoy. Get outside of the fog of work every once in a while. Don't think you can do that. Well, you know what? It's probably time, like the roundtable did today, to get creative. Second, take some advice from Joel Gurman. It's the fees and interest rate that matter on a loan. Don't look at only half the expenses. But the big lesson... Hodor, 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 Hodor. No, I'm not explaining it. If they have to have me do that, you ruin the bit, OG. 
Thanks to Joel German from Quicken Loans for stopping by the basement. Find out more at quickenloans.com. Special thanks to Bo Humphreys for stopping by to chat money. You can find his podcast at bohumphreys.com. Thanks to Katie Brewer for coming down to the basement. You can find her at yourrichestlifeplanning.com. You know, you can also find the link to their shows on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And finally, thanks to Mom for not killing off a character. But watch out, OG! Winter is coming. talked about game of thrones today did any of you guys watch game of thrones you already asked that but no well i asked you that no okay <laughs> and he said he's watched the first three seasons yeah i think after the red wedding i just kind of shut everything down katie you watch it <laughs> the most sci-fi i think i can go is stranger things oh yeah oh so good and i oh. love it but i actually have a rule that that can't be the last thing that i see because i have nightmares oh yeah so i'm <laughs> made all these rules upon seeing stranger things that if we do it then we have to leave enough time for me to watch some stupid mindless something after that so that i don't have creepy mm. nightmares which means you're on episode three yeah i think of the the most recent season yet. oh you made it that far nice job yes yeah well with that kind of science fiction stuff on the table i was just thinking about nerdism and nerdery and you know, we're all money nerds, but it's it's funny because things like Game of Thrones have made it kind of cool to be even more of a nerd, right? Where I didn't realize it was so dark in here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had to tell us that you were turning up the light because on an audio <laughs> podcast, stopping the podcast to tell everybody you're turning on the thank you, like but way better now makes Good it night way better. Yes, <laughs> OG would like to announce that he looks way better on camera. On this podcast. Yes. Gotta be honest. Now people can imagine him looking just yes. phenomenal because he thank turned Thank you for the up. compliment, Katie. Yes. That was very nice yeah, of you to say. But anyway, can we can we can we finish this? Is that okay with you? Nobody watches this <laughs> silly show. I listen to it, this after show. 
No, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about that. Everybody listens to that, dude. Come on. I'm talking about he's, Game of oh, Thrones. He's talking about Game, talking of, Thrones. Game of Thrones. Show. On, no. on, he's like, nobody listens to our show. If, but, <laughs> At least six people do. That I know. But if somebody, if somebody, uh, oh, uh, back to your point about the Red Wedding before I asked that. But but when you're talking about the Red Wedding, Bo, I was reading in bed and I took the book and Cheryl's reading something else. And I literally took the book and I chucked it <laughs> across the room. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I hate this book. And then I see you, George R. R. Martin. Uh, and, and then I went and I finished the rest of them, but I couldn't. When it came on TV, then I'm like, I can't watch this. I cannot go through this again. Like emotionally, I can't do it. But nerdery. So what type of nerdery things do you guys like besides money? So I got lots. I'll pick a, a pretty nerdy one, I think. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, has a musical episode. It's actually, I really like the musical. I'm a musician, right? So, you know, Buffy, I like watching this whole series. Um, The musical episode, I found the sheet music. I'm a piano player, right? And I learned how to play all the songs. There's like full score written out, right? Full score. And then all of our friends who are like huge Buffy maniacs, they were assigned roles and we redid the musical in our living room. That's... You redid um, the entire musical. We had as uh, a friend of ours actually was the narrator reading uh, the script uh, where there wasn't singing. And then everyone was assigned a role. I was the piano player. Plus, I played uh, one of the characters as well. Did you film it and send it to Joss Whedon? No. Uh, I, <laughs> but, uh, you know, our Buffy was uh, the hugest fan. She actually got to meet him, I believe, at a fan expo of some kind. And uh, she knew every lyric of the Buffy songs inside out. And uh, we, yeah, we have a bunch of singers in the group. So that was uh, really nice. I'd love to do it again. I'd love to read. That, uh, that is super cool. Very nerdy. That's yeah. incredibly nerdy, but way cool. Uh, so can we have like a, a get together at some conference that we might be at where we like sing money songs? Because I would totally yeah. be down for this. I already asked Jessica if there's a piano in D.C. for FinCon, and she said no. Oh. <laughs> and it's really hard to find a piano in D.C. that you can just go and play. You got to either, like, you know, just go and do an open mic or it's just, yeah, I, I've already looked into it. But, yes, let's do that in the future. How fun would that be? A bunch of money nerds singing a bunch of money songs. There it is. OG looks thrilled. Like, yes, you, you'd be the first one. <laughs> I know you well enough, dude. You'd have a couple of Woodfords. You'd be up there singing Pink Floyd. No, I don't think that would be true. No money. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But... Katie, Katie, you're a financial planner. Your husband, you said is an engineer. There must be some nerdy stuff that you guys have done. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we're money nerds. We're numbers nerds. I mean, really, it's just inconvenient that we can't make any decision without a spreadsheet and usually overlapping spreadsheets because we have to have his and her spreadsheets and compare them. Get it on the 11 by 14 legal size. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like the fold. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So other than that, you know, other than not being able to make any decisions without his and her spreadsheets, uh, we're also a very musical family. So I think, I don't know if it's nerdy or not, but pretty much we all know the lyrics to every Disney 
anything that's got. Oh, yeah. And we also have like sing-alongs with our family. My husband plays guitar. My daughter plays whatever instrument you hand her, which is usually like a maraca or uh, something that doesn't take a whole lot of (laughs) musical ability. (laughs) And then she sings, I sing. My sister just moved to Colorado, but back when she was in the Dallas area, she would also join us in these, you know, random family musical performances. We used to have about a three hour drive to go to my parents' house and we'd go there for the holidays. I really didn't want to stop 15 times. And my kids were always good about every 30 minutes of totally wanting to stop and do something. So it would take all flipping afternoon to get to my parents' house. And so I decided that we were going to, we're not a very musical family, but what that reminded me of, Katie, was I decided we were going to do this show with Christmas carols, but I was only creating it so that my kids were in the zone the entire time we were driving there. So So you were trying to trick them into not bugging you every 30 minutes. And so we created these different three-part things for all the different songs, you know, and, um, and it worked. It totally worked. We got there in three hours. My kids were all fired up about performing it in front of everybody. Then we performed the songs. And of course, you know, grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and everybody thought it was so cool that they, that they did that, but definitely not learning, uh, an entire Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I kept my kids quiet for three hours. How nerdy is that? That's, that's awesome. That's so old school, man. <laughs> it was just pretty good. Like, <laughs> think it, you got to be a ninja after a while. You're like, it was oh, practical. Yeah. stay one step ahead of the kids. Uh, bigger nerdery than that for me was my cousin and my brother and I had a pack that we wouldn't let anybody know that we would play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. We totally would play, but, but we had a pact. You couldn't tell anybody because while those stranger thing kids, it's like really cool to do it, man. In the eighties, that was, uh, that was not nearly the cool badge of honor. I think it is today. So, uh, for a certain nerd kid, I think being nerds way cooler than it was then, but we loved Dungeons and Dragons. OG, how about you? You're a big Dungeons and Dragons guy. I can't relate to any of this actually. You don't have a nerd bone (laughs) in you, do you? I, uh, come on. I don't think so. Um, you've always been like 85 years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's almost bedtime, man. What are you going to do? There's time for bed and time for play. Bedtime's at 930. Everybody knows that. Were you like born a diva? Was that I totally am. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I don't have any. Uh, I can't think of it. So I mean, sad. nothing similar to what you guys are talking about. So sad. Come uh, on. Oh, wow. Sounds a little elitist. I know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, I don't do anything silly like you guys. What about puzzles? Would you do a puzzle? No, I'm a two on implementer on Colby, so I'm not a puzzle person. But you play some board games. You and I have yeah. played some board not, games. Not on yeah. purpose. Uh, <laughs> play just, board just, games on purpose? I was trying to be friends with you. Trying to find some common ground. <laughs> just trying just I'm just trying to square peg in the round hole. I'm by, just like trying to by playing ticket to ride. Your kids like ticket to ride. They do. And I'm glad that I taught them how to play so that I don't have to play it ever again. <laughs> Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do 
just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.